0: listening to Carnivore Conversations, a podcast exploring the benefits of keto, carnivore, intermittent feasting, and other lifestyle hacks. Each week, we'll be interviewing a special guest from the keto carnivore community and so much more. This is your host, board-certified and practicing physician, Dr. Robert Kiltz. And then I'm, I'm going live uh, also on our Instagram.
1: Oh, awesome. And uh,
0: I, it's, I'm, I'm trying something a little bit different here. Okay. And, okay. Uh, but, um,
1: I didn't know that you could use this for Instagram. That's pretty cool.
0: You can't, oh, okay. you
1: can't.
0: I've got a separate, my iPad
1: gotcha.
0: is set and uh, it's it's videoing my screen. Uh, and so it's a whole new kind of different thing that I'm trying to do. I've been working on a way to do this for a while, and I finally kind of figured it out. But, That's pretty uh,
1: cool.
0: Yeah, it's pretty yeah, cool. <laughs> I am I'm a technological idiot in, in all of this, and I've been playing with my cameras, and I got a new screen, and but I love all this this technical fun stuff. But, uh, but welcome, Judy Cho, uh, author, nutritionist, uh, coach. Uh, to help people through this uh, life journey of many diseases. And uh, Judy's book is The Carnivore Cure. We can find it on Amazon and also on your website. Yes. Uh, welcome, uh, Judy. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into this carnivore stuff, which is radical.
1: Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Kilt. Um, it's always fun talking with you. Uh, so I guess really where it starts is in college, a friend introduced me to the master cleanse, which is very plant-based. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to do this elimination diet, but I'm very into, I want to learn a little bit more about the science. So I read his book. I didn't really pursue further from the book, but I read that book and he was like, and meat is not good for your gut. So I was like, okay, I'm going to just try it. And anyways, that experiment lasted for about 12 years. And I got really sick. Um, Sure, I was a little bit thinner, but my mental health started struggling. And then on top of that, I also started having an eating disorder. So um, I would be eating clean um, or plant based for uh, most of the day. And then by nighttime, I was hungry and my body was like craving all these good fats. And I was eating a very low fat version of plant based. And so it would cause me to binge. And then I was like, Oh, no, I can't gain weight. So what can I do? And it was this vicious cycle. And over time, all of that, I guess that behavior started making me really struggle with anxiety and depression. And, you know, fast forward time, um, I was able to kind of mask it for about 12 years. So plant based, struggling with the eating disorder. And then I got married and had my first son. And I was still struggling with it. So even throughout my pregnancy, while the binging and purging kind of lessened, it was still there. And thank God he's okay. But at six months when I was nursing him, um, I got sick, I had to get, um, I had mastitis, and I had to get antibiotics. And then for some reason, I had a mental breakdown. So I was still using behavior, still eating plant based, uh, nursing around the clock. And then all of a sudden, I end up in the mental ward on New Year's Eve, where basically, I don't remember a lot of it. And not once did they ask me, what is your diet? Like what's going on? And they just equated it to, oh, she has postpartum depression. Now, granted that's six months later. So normally postpartum is right after you had the baby. Mm-hmm. And um, they said, I think you need to get um, support for your eating disorder. And so that's what I did. Um, But you know, in there, they taught me like, oh, you need to eat a variety and you need to be balanced. And so they would challenge me that you need to be able to eat a cupcake. And if you don't, and if that requires you to binge, then you're not healed. And so a lot of the cognitive behavioral things they taught me was really good. But the food portion was completely wrong. And I didn't know that. So I trusted the dieticians in there. And it just got me sicker and sicker over time, I would end up falling and I would end up binging again. And I'm just like, what is wrong with me? Why can't I have the discipline to get better? And then fast forward, I, um, I ran into the ketogenic diet. And uh, while I was on maternity leave, and I fell in love with it. And I learned about nutrition and everything I knew about nutrition was wrong. And that's when I realized, oh, my gosh, I must know nothing about nutrition and wellness. And, and so I just had my second child. And I was like, I never want to go through this again. And I looked into nutrition, and I ended up going back to nutritional therapy school to get healing. And now that I eat mostly and only meat, um, I healed my mental health, I don't struggle with an eating disorder. And I thought I would have to struggle with it for the rest of my life. And I'm completely sober. And, and the fact that I don't struggle with depression, which I used to be on antidepressants, antipsychotics, and all of the things, and I don't anymore, I realized like so much of what we self blame is the food, and what we listen to and what we believe about ourselves. And so we have to start with the diet to get better. And so I changed my career, I was a successful management consultant. And I was like, I don't want anyone to go through my dark past, because they were wrong and led to believe that plant based is healthy and plant based is best when really if you eat a nutritionally dense diet of meats with the most bioavailable foods you can actually heal and then you could do whatever you want with life and so that's why I wrote the book
0: <laughs> well that, the book is amazing and, and carnivore cure and, and it is you know it's a light bulb because I know like you my I suffered from so many things for so long right. and and finally at 55 I i went carnivore i was doing keto and paleo before that and it just it changed my life and i think we feel like we've got this thing a secret and we just want to tell the world how amazing you can feel and how all these diseases go away and voila and and well, who are some of the people that you first learned from on the keto journey? Any particular books or or people that you can remember from? Um, it?
1: I know there was. Um, so Leanne Vogel was one for sure, um, or Vogel. Um, so she was one. And then um, I would say in the carnivore space. So what happened was I was keto plant-based and then I would still struggle occasionally. And that's when I had peers saying, you should try just meat only and see if you can heal. And it was again, just going to be an experiment because I thought it was kind of crazy and then it changed my life. So that's why I stayed and then became an advocate for it. But I would say, um, I think Leanne had a book and then just her content, her podcast, just normalizing this way of eating that it's not crazy to eat high fat. And then I ran into Dr. Kevin Stock's research, a lot of his writings and Amber O'Hearn and um, I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but a psychologist that's carnivore as well. And so those were- Georgia E. Oh, yes, yes. So a lot of her, and because I have a psychology background in my studies and so fell in love with her work. And then that's when- really started going down the rabbit hole. So not a particular book, but I would just say content.
0: And and how have people been accepting your way of life and you're sharing this in the, maybe in the space of the people you were talking to before, or what's the open, how's it opening up in the conversation?
1: So um, when I first started and I was, um, you know, that advocate of healing my own journey, um, I was trying to advocate for my family and close friends and best friends and, For those people, it was just very, and this was where keto was still a little new, not as, you know, as popular as it is now. And it was very, oh, I can't do extreme things like that. Like, I'm not wired your way. That just sounds kind of crazy. And they just, you know, and I realized at that point where there's no point in advocating to people that are not willing to listen yet or not willing to be open. And that's when I started realizing, I'm just going to go on the internet, because I'll find people that are willing to be open. And then I can share. And that's how we can change the world, right? We can help people that are willing to be open. And if they change one person or help them to heal in that way, or share their story and look at my 100 pound weight loss, or look at that, I'm no longer on um, psychotic meds. Those are the ways to heal, but I would, you know, being fully candid, my mom and dad have healed tremendously from carnivore. So they had all the metabolic disease and they no longer suffer from that. But beyond that, I mean, I think people still think it's like a little bit of a, whoa, that's an extreme diet that may not be right. And you know, they still believe that saturated fats are bad and that's what's causing heart disease and that type of stuff. But um, I would say the community members online have been a tremendous benefit where I get motivated by their stories. And those are the people that I guess I continue to do this for, but the immediate real life community, it's, it's still a struggle.
0: It, it is. And I know for me, cause I, you, you, like you, we write these things, we share them and we get like the what? And, and, uh, and I'm like, listen, and we doctors and scientists, and nutritionists, we're so pigheaded headed that we will not be open to change and why we're that way? It doesn't make sense to me. Because ultimately, wouldn't you want to be open to the possibilities of eliminating every disease, not needing all these drugs, and feeling the best you can ever feel? Right. Uh, but it is it is a home run what you've written, and your book is amazing because you. you have a tremendous amount of data of the real needs for the human body. And, and the thing and and, and I too have, have read a lot from Kevin stock he's actually he's quoted in my in my uh in my uh, keto lifestyle okay. book and uh um you know it's, it's amazing but uh, plants like uh, what about plants do you think are the reason for the diseases
1: mm-hmm.
0: do you have any particular thoughts on that that maybe you can share and then sure question from core last we'll night, just one second.
1: Okay, yeah. So I think it, just to think of it really simplistically, right, we can talk about anti nutrients and the specifics. But really, if you think about it, every single species in this world, they want to survive, and they want to, you know, continue population and that type of thing. So if you know that baby when um, humans have babies, we are super protective, right, there's mama bear, that type of stuff. And then we have that with the animals. So when you're hunting, right, you have to hide, you have to wear camouflage clothing. Well, plants are the same. So plants, because they cannot move, because they cannot roam, um, they have to have the you know biochemistry, the toxins are within the plant. So the thought is that, hey, if an animal comes by and eats me, then maybe they'll get sick or maybe they'll vomit or maybe they'll have loose stools and they'll never eat me again because I taught them as a plant, like I'm gonna make you sick, so therefore leave me alone. And so if you think about the way that we eat in America and the rest of the world, our diet now is about 70 to 80% plant. So technicality, almost everyone is plant-based. If you eat mostly grains and veggies and then uh, like the fruits, right? So like orange juice. So if you think about a breakfast, orange juice, bread, jam, all of that are from plants. So in essence, we are mostly eating plant based. So if your diet is 80% plant based, and a lot of it uses processing, so not only is it the genetic makeup of these plants. So at this point, we know that gluten is for a lot of people is toxic, it causes gut pain. and, And then people have the celiac disease where it's even worse. Well, that's an anti nutrient. And then there's like 20 anti nutrients in plants. So Maybe you're not as sensitive to celiacs or as much to gluten, but there might be, it might be in um, spinach and almonds and dark chocolate, there's oxalates, which bind to minerals. And so they may cause you joint pain, they can cause depression and mental fatigue, these types of things. But not only that, these plants also bind to other things. So sure, um, you know, spinach has um, a lot of iron, but they also have mineral um, mineral binding Um, properties that basically won't allow you to um, absorb these minerals. So yes, on paper, it shows a lot of nutrients. But in real life, it may not be actually nourishing your body. And that's the thing that's really tricky about nutrition. Sure, you can say that meat and plants are similar in nutrients and um, nutrient density, but the bioavailability of the nutrients are different. And then the last thing is the way that we are harvesting plants now. It's so different than back in the day. So we use glyphosate, we use GMOs, we use herbicides. Even the amount of organic plant pesticides we use is like double or triple the amount we use for just the generic type. So even if you eat an organic carrot, I wrote about this recently, but organic carrots have um, citrox, which is like a antibacterial antifungal. So you're eating almost a little bit of like hand sanitizer while you're um, eating these organic carrots, or the regular versions have Clorox in it, so or like chlorine. So which one do you want to take? Like pick your poison, right? So it's all of these things that then make plants a little less friendly for us. And we don't think about these things. We think we're nourishing with lots of iron and lots of all these other minerals and vitamins. But in reality, they have to be also conjugated in our bodies. And a lot of times our bodies are not able to do it.
0: So, so what about the conversation about all the antioxidants that are in vegetables and superfoods, and and these are really helpful to sure. reduce cancer and those sort of things? Any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. So, um, I in in my book, I try to argue every single little thing that's a concern eating meat only, and especially as a meat-only elimination diet diet, you don't have to do it forever. I mean, find your balance and then see what you want to introduce back. But there are um, antioxidants in animal foods. So for example, that reddish pink hue in salmon is called azothanthin. Sorry if I'm pronouncing it wrong, but that's an antioxidant. Um, There are other amino acids that like um, that act like antioxidants, and it's listed in the book. But the thing is also, you know, everything that's good can also become bad. So if you think about a lot of antioxidants can actually convert to pro-oxidants and then it can do exactly the thing that you want it to protect you from. So what do antioxidants do? They go around and they help clean up some cells that are causing oxidation, inflammation. So that's what antioxidants are supposed to do. But if you have too much antioxidants or too many, then they can become pro-oxidants, meaning they can cause inflammation. So there's a fine balance. And then the argument is if you are eating a no, mostly like no veggie, no plant diet, then there's less inflammation in the body anyway. So you don't even need that level of antioxidants because your your body is eating foods that are less toxic on the body.
0: What I've learned about science is there are a lot of theories and then they write a paper and then we believe the theory as if it's true science. Oh, totally. I'm <laughs> betting a billion dollars There's no such thing as an antioxidant. I think it's bullshit. That's where I'm beginning to learn and, or believe in, as I'm, I'm understanding the scientific literature or the publications and how anyone gets anything published anyway. It's a little crazy. All right, Tor, Uh hello, at, uh, uh, Robert and Judy. Uh, could you please discuss your viewpoints on male fertility, sperm count motility, and maybe how this differs on the carnivore diets mm-hmm. versus the lion diet? Well, I I don't know what what are your thoughts on the carnivore versus lion? I don't know. I'm I think those are the same, but it,
1: it's like nuance. I mean, I love Michaela Peterson. Uh, I would say that if it's um, if it's mostly ruminant, but I think I think she allows like later as you also do an elimination that you can add other foods as well. But there are nutrient deficiencies in ruminant meat. Uh, it's not a lot. It's just um, I I guess deficiencies isn't the right word, but it's just less of if you also include fish and eggs and other foods in the animal based kingdom. But in general, it is similar, Um, I wouldn't worry too much about it. The key really for testosterone and other hormones is eating sufficient fat and eating enough that you're not under eating and also managing your stress. The cortisol pathway, um, the steroid hormone pathway is all the same when you go uh, trying to make sex hormones versus making cortisol. So, if you don't have enough nutrients in the raw materials, your body's going to go and make everything produce cortisol, and then your DHA, your testosterone, and all the other sex hormones will suffer. So it's not necessarily what diet is right, but more, are you eating enough? Are you having sufficient fat? Are you having enough cholesterol that produces these steroid hormones? And are you making sure to reduce your stress? Because more stress causes more requirements of cortisol, and it's just it's just not an ideal thing.
0: So so the uh, basically the sperm uh motility and, and and development is is damaged by a plant-based diet uh, because the plants contain testosterone estrogen and progesterone these are the phytohormones that basically damage and then the glycation uh that damages sperm production sperm motility uh morphology dna because it's all about inflammation and, and and I'm not sure. I think there's a difference between carnivore and lion. I mean, I did a TEDx talk a number of years ago on the Lion King plan. I mean, basically, we are hunters. Right. You know, you you only ate plants because you just didn't have enough meat. Yeah. Like, why would you ever eat a seed or a nut or a berry? Truly, uh, but but I I'm not sure. But I've been watching Michaela Peterson is awesome you know and, and and there's so much we're all sharing in this space sure. on how to improve but ultimately i tell people if you're infertile male or female doesn't matter you're unhealthy so everyone talks about well i'm healthy i'm just infertile but isn't fertility like the like the the foundation of why we're even alive right and so you know this idea that we're supposed to be a nutritionist or a doctor or an engineer or anything is all made up because ultimately it's just part of the, the the stuff we do in order to, to, um, to uh, build a family and all of this.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I, as I get into nutrition and then holistic health, I really think about, our bodies just try to do the best with what it has. So the goal would be to have offspring and be healthy enough to make babies. But if your body is not healthy enough, whether it has toxins, whether it's under eating, whether it's malnourished, whether there's too much stress, whatever the reason is, the body will protect you first before saying you have the ability to have offspring. Our bodies want us to have offspring. That's how we continue life. But if we are not well enough, our bodies will say, okay, we have to do whatever for your body first before we can even make the decision of having bot- uh, babies, and so that I fully agree with you.
0: What are your thoughts on on um, uh, a, uh, a diary, a food diary, mm-hmm. and keeping track of what you're eating? Uh, do you encourage that, or do you have any conversations with people on 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 that type of lifestyle?
1: Sure. So um, I do I recommend a food and mood journal and not because okay, I'm trying to track my calories, you could do that if you tend to under eat. And so the goal would be so that you have a amount of calories or macros that you eat. And therefore, for that reason, if you want to track the calories fine, but in general, I do it more for the food and mood journal. And that is really to understand when you are eliminating all these foods to then figure out like, where is my normal baseline. So baseline meaning, Um, I sleep through the night or sleep mostly through the night. I don't have any symptoms. I don't feel like bloated and achy after eating a meal. Um, I don't have joint pain. I don't have all of these things, even mood issues. And so once you find that baseline, you could figure out, um, let's say you're doing it for an elimination. So one is, um, if you're still reacting to all the foods in the animal based diet, then you may want to figure out, okay, maybe it's the pork, maybe I'm not doing so well with pork. So you eliminate it. And then you eliminate for a while. And it's like, does my symptoms decrease? And if it does, the only way you'll be able to figure that out is if you write. I can ask my clients all day long, okay, what did you eat a week ago? And they'll kind of remember, but they can't really remember how bad they felt or how their uh, stools were or their sleep unless they track it. And that's one of the biggest things that has helped my clients figure out what foods are their friends and what foods are their foes.
0: We, We love variety. And, and I tell everyone that you don't feed your dog variety, your cat variety, and ultimately, historically, we probably had almost no variety in our diet. And variety and spices are very uh, damaging to our bodies. Uh, it, it, it's kind of something that we don't even think about because we're so used to it. I'm Italian. I grew up in L.A. A lot of Mexican food. We love spices, and and yet, uh, how do how do you talk to people about uh, all of those, the onions and the garlics and the where do you go on those sort of things?
1: So it depends on how unwell people are, but I would I normally start with no spices because if you think about it, if we just talked about plants, right? Like gluten, lectins, uh, phytates, they're all anti-nutrients that are in every single plant. Well, if you're starting to use seasonings and there's like an, um, a, a, a seasoning blend, well, then there's like a concentration of lots of vegetables in small doses, but there's a lot of it. And so you may be reacting. And I've had people using the food and mood journal realize that when they use onions, or when people are making bone broth, and they add the veggies, the anti nutrients are getting into the broth, even if they don't eat the vegetables. And so I'm when someone's not feeling well, I say cut these spices too. Because I mean, I talked about in the book, um, there was there was sesame seeds that they found there was poison in them. And it's because a lot of them are not regulated. And it's just kind of scary, right? So if you want to just get a baseline of health at a point, it might be better to remove the spices. And then when you're feeling better, you can do a reintroduction, use the food and mood journal and figure out, okay, can I do onion? And then can I do the dried version because the dried versions are a lot more potent, even though they're really small.
0: So, so a spice gives us a, a, a hot and, and, and some other tanginess uh, mm-hmm. that we like, but if it feels like that in the tongue, what does it do to our GI tract? And then it gets inside our bloodstream and goes to every cell of our body. What are the effects of that on every single cell of our body? We know that peppers can burn right? And so if it burns our tongue, what does it do to everything else inside of our body, right?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, we are our food, right? So I always compare this to my kids' Legos when they're trying to build a, a um, an amazing creation. They need the foundation and the building blocks to do well. So if you are fueling with less than ideal food, that's all that your cells have and that can use to then make the thing for your body. And that could be a reason that okay, as I'm building the cells in the body, I don't have enough of the building blocks to then reproduce, for example. But for example, with the pepper, um, there's like anti-nutrients, there's a thing called capsaicin in them and there are nightshades and they just cause a lot of inflammation in the gut. And so if it's causing inflammation in the gut and that's where we absorb most of our nutrients, well, maybe the pepper is not doing that much damage in terms of nutrients. But now if you're eating a steak right after and your gut is, gut is becoming more leaky, well, now you can't even absorb as much of the nutrients in the meat. And that's where it becomes this vicious cycle of, oh, that one cookie or that one pepper, that one seasoning is not a big deal. It is if you're not feeling that well. When you're eliminating, it's best to be strict. And then you can always reintroduce when you're ready, when you're healthier, and figure out what works for you. But in general, it's not ideal as you're trying to heal. And that's why, I mean, most of America and most people have metabolic disease and are unwell.
0: It's, it's uh, sad to see. And the sad thing to me is our Western medical uh, the environment is continually to tell people to do the exact wrong thing that's causing their diseases. Right. which is causing them to die early suffer for years right. and cost them uh, um, uh, cost them dearly not only their life but money that they right. can't afford and our government is supporting that that's just sad
1: yeah and- um I I wrote a blog post on um, beyond meat burgers and I dissected the ingredients and and this is the stuff that gets me really upset and why I share a lot is, You know, there are people that may not financially be able to afford Beyond Meat because it's a lot more expensive per pound than ground beef. And they go to these fast food restaurants and it's like, why do they target fast foods to add these plant-based meats? But Anyways, um, so then people will go there and think I need to eat more plants, I need to stop eating meat for the environment. And so they think they're doing a good job for the environment for their own health. And so they pay like $2 more for the hamburger that's meatless versus the ground beef one. And but in reality, they're making themselves sicker. I mean, they use canola oil. And I know the World Health Organization loves canola oil and recommends it for everyone. But I mean, when I did the actual research of how they make canola oil, they burn it seven times. So we think about oils. Let's just say canola oil is healthy. The fact that they burn this oil seven times so that we don't taste the flavoring. We don't see the, the, the illness that is of a rapeseed uh, plant. And then we eat these and we don't, it's tasteless, but it's already oxidized because it's been burned so many times. And that doesn't even consider the fatty acid makeup of these oils. And and people are eating this. And instead of eating meats that are making it's more bioavailable nutrients and that are healthy for hormonal health, we struggle with mental health right now. And a lot of that is if you don't have good gut health, you don't have the nutrients, your body's going to try to have your body survive versus the mental health side. And this is where we need to really focus on quality needs instead of thinking that plant-based is good for us because it's it's not. And in fact, beyond meat, I think their sales have plummeted recently. Well, it's,
0: it's a deadly, deadly food. In my opinion, it's a cancer causing vegetables, totally. make us vegetables. We know if someone says they are vegetable, eating vegetables will make you a vegetable. And it's really hard to believe these thoughts and ideas were just like a little crazy, right. but, but, uh, it's quite amazing that, that, why would we want a burger made out of vegetables? Because Mm -hmm. our bodies, our brains want a burger. Because meat, your brain wants it bad. We've been domesticated. We've been basically corralled uh, with a chain around our necks and fed a grass and grain diet to a lioness and a lion. And that is the craziest stuff that we are learning every day and it's an uphill battle but really i think maybe if we reframe our story that we're just teaching away an ancient way it's an ancient nutritional model that when we you know because i hear people that are reading your book and listening to your story and seeing you that have healed and uh it's it's so so important a story to tell
1: yeah I mean, if we were to just dig a little bit um, in history, heart disease didn't really exist over 100 years ago. And we were always eating meat, we were always eating butter, a lot of these margarines and canola oils, and these newer foods have not been around. And people are just, you know, we believe the science where it says, um, heart disease is by these meats and eating too much saturated fat. And it's just not true. And it's, it's, sure, cholesterol will be there when there's inflammation, the cholesterol comes to protect the body. And it's just a kind of um, it's being blamed, but it's actually not the root cause of what's going on. And that's where it's really unfortunate. Because I mean, just 150 years ago, heart disease was almost non existent. And, and now we think it's the meat that's causing it, even with the climate change. um, You know, people think it's Oh, I'm doing a service for the world by eating by not eating meat, but monocrops ruin our soils. And there's only a certain amount of times that the soil can be used for monocrops before you can't even plant on that. And so I think that's why they're focusing now on lab meats, because I think they know these kinds of things. And so it's like, I just saw this one company, they, um, they found they isolated a milk protein, and it's plant based because it's not using the animal, and they're making ice cream from it. And it's completely fake. And, and but they're saying it's sustainable for the climate. And it's, there are more nutrients than just the vitamin A's through the minerals. There's also these smaller, different amino acids and other things within a food that I don't think a lab will get 100%. And it's unfortunate to see if people, you know, test themselves with these foods, which are not natural. And it's just the risk of more illness and unwellness.
0: Is that the world we want to live in, where basically a lab is making all of our of our foods? I mean, soylent green. I mean, it's it's you know sort of a a sad story of what we're getting in modern medicine. The, the monolith of science is going to solve our problems. Right. In fact, it's making it more complicated, costly, and deadly. And human beings can't just be human beings anymore.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think of the, you know, like, so I healed my mental health from this. And I mean, I didn't tell a lot of my story, but I I can tell a little bit more like I, my, my family was like, I wasn't being normal. And so they called my psychiatrist cousin, and he basically was like, you should check her in. And I don't know what happened. They gave me antipsychotics, and I calmed down. But that period of my memory was gone. And, and I was nursing my six month old child. And I was forced on a 72 hour lockdown because they didn't know what I'd do to myself. And I was in there and I didn't get to spend New Year's Eve and New Year's Day with my son. And I will never get that back. And 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 I had to stop nursing as well. So now then he got on formula and I thought I was doing the best and getting ones from Germany that were organic and all this other stuff. But one of the key nutrients is a vegetable oil. And that's the best quality I could find at that time. And I didn't even know it was bad. And I never want anyone to go through that. There were days where I was like, I don't wanna get up. I don't wanna live. Life is so hard. I wish I could just sleep and never wake up again. And, and I thought I was the one that was broken, that I was not strong enough to eat just plants and be healthy. Why do I need the cupcakes and all that stuff? And then I realized eating meat That oh my gosh, it wasn't me. It wasn't me and it was actually the diet. And we see so much propaganda and that's when i became an advocate and then the crazy thing is i got my mom and dad a buy-in and they both suffered from metabolic disease so they were in their 50s diabetic high cholesterol my mom was taking metformin and she was struggling with dermatitis um, at night she had asthma because of her diabetes and she was wearing two sizes too big of shoes because by the end of their night her feet were swollen Oh they God. are now carnivore for three years and they are on zero medications. My mom has not does not have diabetes and my they don't take any statins and any of that. And she doesn't use the inhaler at all. She has an emergency one by her side just in case. And in three years, she has never used it. She doesn't get dermatitis. She had to throw away all her big size shoes. And to me, what plant-based food can reverse diabetes and reverse those things that my mom and dad mostly eat meat and and they are healing. And these are stories that you will not see eating a vegan diet or a plant-based diet. They they are vibrant. And I know that I've given them like 10 more years, at least to be with my kids. And that's what life is about, right? It's not, yeah, I don't know.
0: Judy, your passion and, and sharing that very, very heartfelt emotional story is amazing. And we need more of that because- We need to hear these stories because I think all of us are suffering. I've had depression before. I know ADHD and all over the place and migraines and all the physical things. And basically the plants contain every toxin that actually causes all of that. Heroin, cocaine, cyanide, nicotine, marijuana are all in plants and they make us Depressed, they make us suicidal. They make us that way, but we're taught that meat does it. From actually, if you be if you go to Gary Todd's book, "Good Calories, Bad Calories," you'll listen and learn from a very, I think, a dictatorial, domesticated sort of religious uh, ideas that wanted to corral us all. No, no, no disrespect to any religion or spiritual practice, but ultimately we've been duped. We are carnivores, 99%. If we did not find meat, we could eat berries and fresh, ripe fruit and vegetables. But vegetables in general, fiber uh, to me is deadly. And I'm going to ask you maybe to comment your thoughts, because when I eliminated fiber, and vegetables, my bowel bleeding, constipation, uh, 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 GERD, gone. Okay. And what's your thoughts on fiber and yeah. how it is? Um, it?
1: So there was a study. Um, it's been a while since I looked at it, so but it's in my book. But they talked about um, they had people eat certain amounts of fiber, and they had the decision. So there was this one group that had, like, limited fiber. There was another group that had more, and then so on and so forth the, and then after six months, I think they were allowed to eat however much they wanted. And the people that ate none to very little fiber were the ones that had the best gut health afterward. And so they chose not to eat any more fiber. Now that's just a study. So let's move on from that. But if you think about fiber, why do why do they say that we need um plant fiber? It's because they say that They have this ability to produce short-chain fatty acids like butyrate. That's what our microbiome needs and so on and so forth. So the argument then is that, well, butter from the Latin word butyrum, is the highest concentration. And there's a study of that too. The highest concentration of butyrate in its most bioavailable form. So if you really believe in that whole short-chain fatty acids for butyrate and for the microbiome, Then just have some butter and you'll have a higher concentration that's more bioavailable. And then the other thing I'll say is because I specialize in gut health, I do a lot of stool tests. And what I'll tell you is there is no rhyme or reason for people short chain fatty acids. Um, Some people have high amounts, some people have low on a carnivore diet. It's not necessarily just the diet, and there's probably other lurking things. So I have seen people on a carnivore diet that their short chain fatty acids are higher than they should be there's some that are just moderate and so on and so forth and again it's just um you know we we believe this is true but what if we just tried an elimination diet of meat only see how you feel for one or two months and then um worst case you can always go back to what you eat now and how you feel now but i'd say whatever you're doing now may not be working ideally and what if it was the plants like one thing i'll say is um So I focus on elimination diets and all of the elimination diets, AIP, so autoimmune, paleo, Whole30, um, GAPS diet, all of these diets from day one, their elimination diet has all the meats, all of them, right? Maybe they don't have sausage or something that's a little bit more processed, but all of them in some rhyme or reason, even the FODMAP, the SCD diet, all of them remove little bits of plants and fruits, but they try to leave it in to make it more practical. But the one food group they do not leave, uh, leave out on the day one are meats, and why is that? You know, it's just something to consider.
0: Well, the the um, the baby's diet is kind of been my crazy uh, diet in all of this on uh, bacon, eggs, buttered beef, ice cream, intermittently fasting, by the way, and I'm gonna ask you about fasting, what well, I call intermittent feasting uh, and salt. and. Uh, to me, that's the healthiest. I don't usually use pepper, by the way, in my age, but, you know, my, my photographers, sure. <laughs> they just cannot leave this stuff out at I all. Know. But what's your thought on how, how, how often and when should we eat food, by the way?
1: Um, so I kind of go by the 0.8 grams per one pound of ideal body weight. So um, in, in terms of protein, so if I weigh 130 pounds, then I'd probably at least eat about I think it's like 110 to 130 grams of protein. That's not um, meat in total, it's the protein in the meat. So that would equate to probably 20 ounces of meat a day. And then you want to make sure at least in my practice, what's been working is at least 70% of total fat of calories. So that would be if I'm eating like a 20 ounce ribeye, depending on the cut, and depending on how much fat there is, that might be adding one or two tablespoons of butter. Um, I also think it's ideal to eat a variety on a carnivore diet over long term, if you're going to do it long term, you want to get the seafood, the shellfish, the eggs, because there's other it's just nutrient diversity. And it's just, I think it's a safer bet. We don't know for sure if you could just do beef only. I've seen clients that do beef only long term, and it doesn't do so well for them in terms of nutrient profile, when they add a little bit more fish have a little bit more omega threes it becomes a little bit more balanced. So that's just something to consider. But the high fat is key. Um, I think a lot of people, there's trends where, hey, let's just focus on the protein. If I have fat on my body, I don't need to eat fat. And so they're eating super lean proteins of like chicken breast and shrimps. and, And then they're like, why is my hair falling out? Why do I feel hungry all the time? Why do I have low energy? It's because you need either sugars or fats for fuel. Protein is not a main fuel source. It's a building block source. It's for the amino acids. And so, um, I, I think high fat is ideally, um, and for me, that means seventy percent of your total calories.
0: How often should we eat? Oh.
1: Um, oh. I, I I know we talked about this last time. So I I actually rec I know you recommend like one meal a day, but I recommend two, just because as a gut focused spe- uh, nutritionist, I think of you get two chances of eating your food, right? So one. I work with a lot of women. So a lot of women, when they do one meal a day, they tend to under eat. And so if I do two, they have two chances of getting their nutrition in, and then two chances that their body can absorb the nutrients. So for me, I think two is like the sweet spot. I see most people kind of transition there. Some people stay at three really depends. Um, but I think it's better than snacking and grazing all the time, because one, you won't be as hungry, your hormones, leptin and ghrelin will be a little bit wonky, constantly eating, but you just want your body to fuel and then move on, right? Like think of a car when you we fuel with gas, we feel the take once or twice, and then we move on, we don't we're not grazing all the time. Um, that's where I think a lot of the psychology with food needs to be broken. When we take a break, we're like, oh, I'm gonna go get a snack. Uh, when we are done with the day, we're like, oh, I'm gonna relax with food. We have to break these habits. And that's where a lot of the mental health side is really important to work on. When you're healing with food, you have to also heal your relationship with food. It's really, really important.
0: We have the, this idea of a relationship with food mm-hmm. because food is the fuel to allow us to do things. Right. It's not our lover. It's just it's just energy in order to keep moving, and yeah. so you know it's it's kind of our what we're and we obviously in our world of what we we have to we have to sort of 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 mold to what people want to hear, uh, and what they're willing to do. That's kind of the the, the crazy part to all of this. Would would you say? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you think about it though, we are trained and raised that way. So think about when we first have a baby, right? And let's say it's not feeding time and the baby cries. The first thought parents are raised is like, maybe they're hungry, right? So the first thought is the only way babies know how to communicate is through crying. And we always think the number one and only probable reason is that they're hungry. So at a very young age, we teach when you're sad, when you're something emotional, Try food first, and that's why it's a serious thing that we need to focus on. Is think about like what brings you joy, right? On on Fridays we do we do happy hours. We're like let's go and eat bar food and fried foods. Um, let's go celebrate. Let's go get a cake, right? There's all, like after a big baseball game, people go get ice cream. Food is very centric to our communities, and that's what we need to fix. Like. That doesn't mean to eat. sure mourn the actual food, but that doesn't mean you can't be a part of it. You could have other habits switch, um, like let's say you go to happy hour, maybe you get a sparkling water, and what's so wrong with that? It's not you're not there for the food, you're there for the community and the moments of laughter and the memories. But we we think, oh my gosh, now I can't go there. But maybe for a little bit while you change your habits, but afterward you can fully be part of society, fully be part of community. We need community to survive. And so it's just the mental health side is really important and breaking up with our relationship with food, the unhealthy habits.
0: It's practice. It's the conversation. It's reading your book. It's listening to you. The more that we do these things, the more our brain is going to then formulate the changes within us. And we need to practice this every day. I tell all of us, that we are the most valuable, expensive, irreplaceable miracle machine ever. Why wouldn't you do something that's hard? Anyone can do easy. Obviously, the challenge is modern medicine. We think we could just go to the doctor. They're going to give us a drug or do a procedure, and we're done. That's it. Actually, we're just suppressing the symptoms, but we're not reducing the actual inflammation that's causing the diseases that are going to basically cause your mental health, your physical health, um, and and end and your life uh, 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 prematurely, that's really the biggest thing that I think is important, that we're the cheerleaders, we're the coaches of the change, without the change, uh, and uh, we'd still be back in the same, same place, wouldn't you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, I tell my clients all the time and um, my community, the biggest thing is, instead of wanting your children to change or wanting your family members to change, like you have to be the change and you have to show this is my life. This is how I live now as a carnivore, a meat based person, and look at my healing and actions speak louder than words. So that's one, right? And then the second thing is, where I was talking about the mental health is, you know, when when people venture into a carnivore diet, I don't want them to think, I'm going to do this elimination diet. I have to give up all these foods and I'm hopefully I'll get better. There's so many, you know, words in there that are, you know, that could make it detrimental. Right. So if you're like, I hope hope is it's a, it's a hope for something to work, but that you're still kind of doubtful about it. And then when you say you're giving up things, that's the funny thing where people say carnivore is such a restrictive diet. Like It is technically in terms of right, like you can't eat plants, or you can't eat the candies and stuff. But for me, it gave me my life back. I mean, so it's more freedom than anything. I used to struggle with eating disorders. And so I wouldn't go out all the time. If I wasn't thin enough, if I didn't feel well enough, I was locked down in my home. For most of my college years, I barely went out because I felt I was too fat. And I was eating anything and everything I wanted. So it really depends on context right when you say something is restrictive is your life more restricted eating carnivore or eating a you know a plethora of vegetables it's it's just i mean yeah
0: it's what we need to personally i we need to be encouraging and sharing the idea that fat obesity is not the cause of any disease your size is your size and you're beautiful and perfect and love it first and that If you simply change the fueling of this entity, uh, meaning that you change what you eat—you eat a optimal human lifestyle diet,
1: what we're meant to eat—as you've shared—and why do you want to eat these
0: poisons? Um, And it's—it's—it's true. We love them because they make us feel good. But it's—I always think that the plants want to control us. They're actually the predators. We're the pre—they rule the world. By the way. And this is hard for us to understand, but basically, plants are smarter than you and I. We now have to be smarter than them, and ultimately, the elimination is is key. Someone was asking about about uh, I don't like red meat. Uh, what are your thoughts on other things that they could eat that are not red meat?
1: Um, I have clients that, uh, for religious purposes, cannot eat red meat, and there's some that you know are intolerant to it. So, chicken is fine. If you eat chicken, chicken eggs duck eggs, you had all the fish. I mean, salmon roe and salmon are some of the most nutrient-dense foods. So you can completely do this. If you don't like red meat, I mean, who knows? You may have an appetite for it after you eat this way for a while, but it's not necessary to eat this way.
0: Uh, Maybe 500,000 years ago, I don't like red meat. I'd say, okay, die, see you later. Uh, and, And it is because red meat were land animals. We hunted the big land animals that were red meat. We ate the fat, the kidney, the liver. Uh, we ate it all. We broke the bones and we cooked them. But it was cooking. If you haven't looked at Michael Pollan's and uh, Netflix on cooking, and if you look at the Aboriginal, Indigenous people of Australia, but all over the world, basically we're we've forgotten how we really were. Yes. We we ate the whole animal yes. uh, and we used the whole animal and we we. We were grateful to those animals for being our energy source and recognizing them. And when you eat a plant, you kill a plant.
1: Right. You know, it's no different. And the circle of life was then when we died, we would be in the ground and then we would become fertilizer and then we would feed the animals. And it's that that is the true beauty and circle of life when we raise our animals well and we die in the way that we're supposed to as well. Um, One thing I wanted to bring up is you brought up how plants are, um, you know, they're kind of ruling us. And I would agree with that. I mean, I think people should just kind of look at the history of corn and how amazingly they survived and how they used to be these little plants. And they realized that they were getting cropped and then something with the way that the, in the air, and then they became these, uh, depe- and the only way I think that they can be harvested is by depending on someone to pull them out. And it's just, if you read that history of corn, it's kind of scary. So I can see what you're saying. Well, and
0: every, every cell of every organism has the potential to change our DNA, change our, our, our macro and micro environment. And if you know anything about epigenetics, I mean, basically they're plugging in their DNA right into us. And so, but we're so smart that we're going to control them. And in fact, the opposite is actually true. And as we develop uh, uh, plants in the lab or meats in the lab, I mean, we are just, just doing their work all day long. And we really need to get back to basics. Uh, go to your local farm. I'm not against eating plants. Minimize their consumption. Uh, stay away from the variety. You cannot have a husband, a wife, and girlfriends or boyfriends on the side. Variety is deadly. Boring is the best way to the best life ever. And babies, too, by the way. Yeah, and-
1: and- if you think about when they say eat the rainbow in the plant world, if you think about it, I mean, let's just say even 200 years ago, how many plants could you have really had on your plate? It's it's a very new thinking of um, eat the rainbow of plants. I mean, I think it was coined up less than 100 years ago, even veganism is less than 100 years old. So um, at least the coining of the terminology. So it's these things. But you know, we when we don't look back at history, and we don't have the energy because we have brain fog from eating foods that are not meant for us to be eating, we don't have the capacity to to, like do things that are harder, because these foods kind of dumb us down and make us sick. And so it's just, you know, like challenge thoughts that you have, like, why should we eat a rainbow of plants, right? Didn't really exist 200 years ago, did my great grandmother really eat a rainbow of plants? And then even the fruits, Sure, eat some fruits when you want. When they're in season, that means that maybe they should be in season three months of the year. And they're very small. They're not these hybrid versions that are now in the stores. Like cotton candy grapes, they're so big. It's it's genetically modified. And they are super sweet. You don't even need candy.
0: So uh, I personally am okay with treating and rewarding from time to time. Mm-hmm. I will tell you that a cookie, a cake, and ice cream is better for you than kale, uh, bananas and, and and salad, because they're minus the phytochemicals um, and they're simplified. So simple sugar is less deadly than complex carbs and they don't contain the, lect- as many lectins, oxalates, phytates okay. in general. So what's your thoughts on, on occasionally uh, rewards and treats?
1: It's, it depends on the person. Right. So for me, for example, when I used to binge and purge and like something would set me off. So like for me, for example, um, or let's talk about my clients. So if if I said, you know what, why don't you add a little bit of apple at night because you're not sleeping as well or something. And that apple would trigger them to have the apple pie. So it depends on context. Ideally, you should be able to have an apple and then move on and it doesn't really bother you. But for some people in the beginning, um, abstinence is probably key. And this is again, where it's really important knowing yourself. Um, But I think what you make um, that point is actually pretty valid. But I would only say as long as the cookie is the highest quality, meaning there's like not seed oils in it, they're not using all these additives that are toxic. But otherwise, you're right, there's probably less anti nutrients than the actual plants themselves.
0: Um, How about alcohol? Uh, Wine, beer, they're antioxidants. They're really healthy for us. We should have one glass a day.
1: Yeah. So I've been working on a food toxin database and I have to look up every single food with their toxins. And I've been finding, um, it's really interesting. So a lot of people that I've been looking at their blood work there, I think it's their AST is going up. So their liver enzyme. And when I dig into it, they're drinking alcohol. So I don't think it's ideal. Um, I just think that, you know, it's a, a substance. And so maybe once in a while, if that's your kind of sugar, then so be it. But um, I mean, it has like tannins and it has polyphenols. And these are also anti-nutrients that can bind to things and cause toxins. I mean, if we think of a lot of herbals are medicinal, well, then do you think that medicinals, when used the wrong way can actually be a toxin, right? <laughs> it's just like flipping this. It's like, wow that's so logical but we don't think of food plants that way we think they're so herbal and they're healing they may have some medicinal if we find the right like little organic chemistry to use it but the general plant also has all of it including the toxins and so it's just something to consider um yeah
0: so minimize rare and that's the the really the the in my opinion is because we we're social animals and we live in this social world of these things and but but recognizing that that these are toxic chemicals that damage our brain our cells our body and can be can be harmful
1: yeah Um, i mean i think we know that real life is real life right so i'm not someone that's like you can only eat grass-fed because there's people that financially can't afford it or don't have access to it so at first, it's like, just eat the meat you can. And then over time, as you heal, you heal your relationship with food, you heal like any addictions and any of that stuff. If you want to dabble and on your birthday, have a birthday cake, I think that's fine. I think it's just, but you have to know what levers make sense for you and when it makes sense. And so it's not about no, you have to eat meat all the time. I mean, I I think it's ideal that you can eat an apple if it was there. And then you move on and not be like, Oh my gosh, now I want an apple pie, right? There's some healing to do there. Or if you can not have birthday cake on your birthday, because something triggers you, maybe you're not fully healed yet, right? There's things that ideally, we can just introduce at times and not be like, well, now you broke your diet. Now you're not consistent. Now you're not this and that. And that's again, negative talk to yourself. It's a journey. Our diets don't have to be perfect. It's 80% of the time we eat well or 85%. That's what matters. Not that I'm doing something perfect. I have the perfect macros. I'm eating the perfect source of meats. Like that's when things get so complicated and then it becomes easier to go, I'll just eat Pizza Hut, right? That's when it becomes super complicated. So have grace for yourself. Working on the mental health is super important. Focus on meats, the meats that you enjoy. Don't even worry about macros at first. Work to heal your body and get out of that mental fog. Feel how good it feels to eat foods that we are you know, normally wired to eat. And then you'll see like, whoa, I've been living in a cloud and I didn't even know it. I didn't know that that pain that I was experiencing, which is why I make people do the food and mood journal. But yeah, pain, I mean, journal. Really yeah, like, a lot of people equate pain to, well, I guess this is new. I guess this is what it is um, when I get older. And it's not, we should not have pain Getting older—that's that's a myth from you know I don't know where but yeah it's uh, I I think just just try it and if worst case you could say this wasn't for me and then you move on but at least try it because this is the most bioavailable way of eating with the most nutrient dense um, foods and what I mean by bioavailable is the nutrients are in the form that you're able to consume it's not in the um, non-heme iron v- uh, form It's in the heme iron that your body can absorb things like that, like the vitamin K versus K2. These are, th- there are nutrients that your body, as soon as you eat it, it absorbs and they are from the meats, not from plant versions. And of course they don't y- explain this caveat when they talk about nutrition in plants.
0: So we make it so complicated and ultimately for the, for the infinite years before us in the scientific world for the last, maybe the last hundred years or something like that, Like there wasn't a book to look at and we ate a a optimal human uh, diet and we were fine. And obviously we've improved in a lot of ways. And, you know, and there was a question about whether to get the the COVID vaccine. And I say yes, but each individual needs to make their own decision what they do, by the way. I'm not getting into that one. Uh, but, But ultimately it's simple, isn't it? Eat real food. Yes. Eat less frequently, less variety and 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 eat more meat. And and I would say the organ meats, the whole chicken, the bone broth uh, e- and eat the skin. And and if you cook it in a pot where you collect all the grease, the yeah. fat, like
1: eat that. Right. Isn't that what we want to do? Absolutely. And, um, you know, like I've shared about. Be eating too much liver is not ideal. I do think you can eat the organs. I completely agree with you there. I think sometimes we try to overdo good, right? So when there's like a lot of nutrition, we're like, oh, I'll just eat a pound of liver in a sitting or half a pound. And that's where it's like, no, the animal (laughs) has maybe a you know 10-pound organ and the rest is muscle meat. So we should eat that in proportion. And and so um, I agree, though, you should eat everything. I mean, every single part of the animal. There was a documentary I watched. It was like a survival. And this man lived in the Arctic, and he found a big buffalo, and then he ate every single part of the body, every single part. And some parts he used to make gloves, and then some of the food. Like, it was – and that's the way we should be eating. And that's what allowed him to win and survive. Um, but it's uh, – if, if we – The goal is that we use this food and mood journal to then understand our body's mechanisms and our cues. But the long term is yes, as you eat your food, you'll know when you're satiated, you'll know when you're not, we need to get back to trusting our body's innate wisdom. Think about when we smell rotten food, our first instinct is to have a scowl and kind of lean back because it's like, whoa, what is that smell? That is our body's innate wisdom saying, don't eat that, it's going to make you sick. So when we force kids to like you okay let me um let me bake broccoli into butter or let me let me you know grind it into a puree maybe the thing is that our babies aren't supposed to be eating those veggies or not as much of it maybe we introduce a piece of like a long piece of steak i don't think there's children that are like oh that's gross right i mean maybe some of the texture i hear but over time if a child or a human is hungry meat never sounds bad. And you may have to find the right meats for you. You may have to work on understanding your body's cues. But over time, if you start feeling really hungry, eating just meat, you might think, oh, I may need a little bit more fat. And then you just eat two more tablespoons of butter. It shouldn't be complicated, but we complicate things. And we, when we use science, we think, oh, we're smarter. So there were no calculators like a hundred years ago. There were no calorie cal- calculators. Just think about that. There was no this amount of nutrition and this amount of fat, but, and now we're so dependent on it in what to eat and how much to eat in a day.
0: It is a little crazy. Coffee, tea, and water. uh, Are coffee, tea, okay? How much? And then we're just kind of, what are your thoughts on it? And then the water, how much?
1: Okay. So um, I'll I'll say with coffee and tea, it depends. I mean, there's a lot of teas that have a lot of anti-nutrients as well. Um, they have, uh, so I think it has tannins that will bind to iron. So then imagine eating tea or coffee with your meat, then you're probably not getting as much iron. Now, if you have a hemocrotosis or you have excess iron, maybe it's a good thing, right? But um, but in general, it's not ideal to eat those. I mean, coffee is one of the most largest culprits of harboring mold, and, um, and even labor things, right. So um, I think in general, if we could do maybe herbal teas, it might be a little bit better. There's also I did a blog post on caffeine. And uh, there's a lot of people that suffer from anxiety. And there was a great book out that I read about caffeine. And it says for majority of the people, if you just cut out caffeine from their diet, they may never need to get on anti anxiety medication. So before you um, prescribed medications of anxiety, maybe you just cut down all caffeine. And the thing is, caffeine is in everything. So um, it's in coffee and teas, but it's in our sun kiss, it's in cereals, it's in yogurts. And, and it, it causes people to be a little bit more addicted because caffeine is a substance. So You know, like I, real life, I still drink one cup of coffee in the morning Um, in a perfect world. I wouldn't, but I do, but I try to limit it so it doesn't affect my sleep in the evening. There are different bodies and mechanisms that the caffeine stays longer in the body. For example, pregnant women, um, the caffeine stays in much longer than it does for somebody that's a smoker. So you have to know these nuances, but ideally if you can remove it, it would be better. You'll have less risk of mold, less risk of the anti-nutrients binding to your foods, and then just have your own energy, right? But then there's also real life. So you gotta figure that out. In terms of water, um, the general rule of thumb is half of your body weight in ounces. Um, I, th- I do think carnivores tend to drink a little less because we don't eat the carbohydrates that with the salt that make us super thirsty. So we tend to drink a little less. I would try to get closer to the half um, half of your body weight in ounces. So if you we weigh 130, that's 65 ounces a day, maybe add a little pinch of salt so that it'll absorb better but also go by your thirst. So if you are like, I really don't need the water, maybe you don't, right? So, um, but, but make sure and hydrate. So there's indications when you're dehydrated, like lower energy, drier skin. And so you just got to kind of keep a pulse that way.
0: Tell us where people can find you and, uh, and, and uh, also uh, talk to you and get your coaching and, and your advice.
1: Sure, sure. So I, um, I have, my book is Carnivore Cure. Um, It's on Amazon. It's also on the Carnivore Cure website, carnivorecure.com. We're working on a food toxin database. So if you're like, I cannot remove all the vegetables, but I want to leave in a little, like, how can I just um, take a step down approach into eliminating? That's what that database is going to be all about. It'll um, have different elimination diets and different food toxins so that you can eliminate the foods that maybe make more sense for you. And that is what I've been spending a lot of time working on, um, you can find me on nutritionwithjudy.com. I have blog posts and articles. I have a weekly newsletter that gives you tools to kind of improve your health, right? So if carnivore isn't perfectly working for you, maybe you could try this and that, and that's the type of stuff I put in the newsletter. Um, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I have two podcasts, uh, uh, nutrition with Judy's podcast. That's also on YouTube and then a cutting against a brain podcast, which I do with my co-host Laura Spath.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Judy, God bless you. And thank you so much for spending this beautiful Sunday uh, morning uh, with me. And uh, we'll keep following you. We're looking forward to lots of great uh, advice and information. And thank you, everyone, for joining us. And again, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, uh, DrKilts.com, and also CNY Fertility. We look forward to sharing more and share the health and wellness that you're learning from people like Judy and so many more. So God bless. and Thank you, uh, thank you everyone. Thanks Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Carnivore Conversations hosted by me, Dr. Robert Kiltz. And don't forget to review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening today. Check out drkiltz.com for more and subscribe to our Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, and Facebook for more inspiring content every day. Take care and see you next time.